Now, you that are familiar with my ministry know that the primary emphasis of my preaching is our spiritual identity as born-again, blood-washed believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the best way to discover your identity is to discover over 1,000 names and titles that belong to you in the Word of God. I've written seven books on this subject. I have one available in the, two of them available in the foyer. And I have found it to be a tremendous blessing in my life, a challenge and also an honor to fulfill these callings and to boldly walk in the roles that God has given me. It's, it's been transformational for me personally. And so I delight to share that same transformational experience with you. Now, we could not take the time to go into all the hundreds and hundreds of names like uh, like the apple of God's eye, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, more than conquerors, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. The list goes on and on and on. But there is one name that God has laid heavily on my heart to expound on today, and that is the calling to be the pillar and foundation of the truth. The pillar and foundation of the truth. Let's go to the scripture from which I draw that. It's 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 15. And this is where Paul writes his protege Timothy and says, if I should delay that you may know how you ought to behave in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Now, the word translated church there is ecclesia, and it means the called out ones. The church is not merely an organization. The church is an organism. The true church of the living God is transdenominational. It's made up of all born-again believers who have accepted Jesus truly and sincerely as Lord of your life. And the life of God has been deposited within you, the Spirit of God, as a result. And when that happens in your life, you become not only a recipient of the promises of God, but a channel through which those promises can be carried into the world, the culture, the society around you. And that's why God is calling the church corporately, worldwide, to this status of being a pillar of the truth. Why? Because the world is saturated with deception. And you are vitally important, not only as part of a living organism worldwide, but on an individual basis, you are also called to be a pillar of the truth. And it's amazing how God is pulling all that together in our lives and using the worst of circumstances for truth to be manifested in our lives so we become more solidly committed to it. Every trial, every tribulation is only an opportunity for truth to, to uh, prevail in your life and for truth to come to the surface and be preeminent in your choices and in your actions. So would you lift your hand and say, let truth prevail, Lord. Oh, let truth prevail. For instance, if you get sick, yes, you may have symptoms, but the truth is with his stripes, the whiplashes of Jesus that he bore in Pilate's Hall, with his stripes, you were healed. So let the truth prevail and let healing come to you today in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Now, the very next verse in 1 Timothy chapter 3 gives one of the most vitally important truths that should be evidenced in our lives. It says, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, received up into glory. Now, I love the fact that the word seen by angels, the word seen in the Greek means more than just observing something. It means to be awestruck with wonder at how remarkable something was and how remarkable it was that God visited the earth in the form of his son. God was manifested in the flesh and he said, I am the door and by me if any man enter in, he shall be saved. Do you believe that? And in John 14, verse 6, he also said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. What an audacious statement. Somebody outside of Christianity may think, that's just too much for me to handle, too exclusive. That statement indicates to me, though, that Jesus was one of three things. He was either one of the greatest egomaniacs that ever lived, or he was one of the most deluded individuals that's ever lived, or he was who he said he was. And I declare that he was who he said he was. I said he was who he said he was, the way, the truth, and the life. And so he is the embodiment of truth. And that leads me to the next statement that therefore truth is not just a concept, truth is a person. The Bible said the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. He came into this world to add a whole new dimension of truth to the plan of salvation. It wasn't just law, it wasn't just rules, it wasn't just commandments, it wasn't just religious regulations. It's a personal experience and a personal encounter with God made personal in the form of his son. I feel like rejoicing over that. Come on, somebody shout unto God with a voice of triumph. And again, this is transdenominational. Baptist, Methodist, Catholic, Lutheran, so many different denominations herald the fact that Jesus was more than a man. Now, when Paul wrote this, I believe that he was reminding himself and reminding Timothy of things he was well familiar with. The calling of the church to be a pillar, well, that's only a reflection of the image of God when he brought the children of Israel out of the bondage of Egypt. And we are called to bear his image. He went before the children of Israel as a pillar of fire by night. And what's the rest of it? And a cloudy pillar by day. Now, there was a practical reason for that. Desert nights were very cold. Desert days were extremely hot. So I believe that pillar of fire warmed the camp of Israel, sending out the warmth of God's presence to the outer perimeter of the camp. And the cloud by day shielded them from the fierce heat of the desert sun. But it was also a witness of his personal presence. But what do you think of 
when you think of a pillar, what does that represent? What is the metaphorical symbol all about? Well, a pillar, if you gaze up to some high pillar in front of you, well, first of all, it speaks of awesomeness. It speaks of strength. It speaks of majesty. It speaks of stability. It speaks of permanence. It speaks of immovableness. And maybe when God assumed the form of a pillar of fire, it was his way of saying, I am immovable in my commitment to the nation of Israel. I brought you out of Egypt. I will bring you out of the heat of the desert. I will bring you through every battle you'll ever face. Come on, I believe he's still a pillar of fire in every one of our lives. And he's a cloudy pillar that provides a place of refreshment in the midst of the heat of battles and trials and tribulations in life. I believe Paul also was reminding himself and reminding Timothy of pillars that they were quite familiar with. Being Jews, they would congregate with all the other Israelite people three times a year, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles, in Jerusalem to celebrate the feasts. And at the temple of God, there were two huge pillars right in front of the entranceway to the holy place. In the outer court, there were two huge pillars on the outside of the building that actually bore names. One was called Jachin, and the other was called Boaz. And there's a very powerful reason why. Jacob means God will establish. Will you say that with me, please, friends? God will establish. One more time and personalize it to your own life. Everybody say, God will establish. And Boaz means in him is strength. Would you shout that out with me? In him is strength. In fact, let's get animated physically. Would you lift one hand toward heaven and say, God will establish me. Lift the other hand and say, in him I find strength. And while your hands are up, go ahead and shout praises to God, would you? Woo! Glory to the God who starts to work in you because he intends to finish that work in you. He's the author and the finisher of your faith. Well, see, the pillar that he's likening the church to, I believe, is a memorial pillar. Like Jacob and Boaz. Those were 35-foot-high pillars, and according to history... I have read there were fire altars on top of those pillars that could be seen from many miles away. And when pilgrims would top the hills surrounding Jerusalem on their way to the holy city, on their way to the temple to worship, to be reconciled to God, to be forgiven of their sins, to have their sins atoned for as they participated in that old covenant system. I'm sure their hearts leapt with excitement when they would get up high enough on a hill to see the fire altars burning in the distance because they knew they were getting close to their deliverance. They knew they were getting close to an encounter with God that would change their lives forever. That's exactly what the church needs to be a fire altar lifted high above a dark human race a human race cloaked with the darkness of deception that desperately needs to know you can encounter God if you reach out to us and we reach out to you and we share the truth with you you will never be the same amen thank God come on give him a praise right now 
Now, if you and I are going to fulfill this calling, corporately and individually, we've got to overcome in three areas. Because this world is entrenched in deception. This world is immersed in deception. And there are three primary influences that create an atmosphere in this world that leads people astray. Even when at times they think they're doing right, often they're walking a wrong path because they haven't found the truth yet. Let me explain a little bit more fully. In Revelation chapter 12, we find that the dragon, the great dragon, representative of Satan and the devil, is also referred to as the great deceiver who deceives everyone coming into this world. Now, I am not praising the wicked one, the prince of darkness, in any way, but I do acknowledge that's a tremendous track record that every single one of the billions of people who have crossed this planet, who have come into the realm of time, have in some way or fashion, on some level, come under the deceptive influence of the devil and his hordes of demonic underlings. And, and that's just the way this world functions because the prince of this world has had such a dark and deluding and deceptive influence. Thank God. Thank God Jesus defeated the devil 2,000 years ago. He openly spoiled principalities and powers, the Bible said. And so now there's an opportunity to get out from the clutches of the demonic influences and to walk in the truth. John in his third epistle said, I have no greater joy than to find out that my children are walking in truth. And I believe God has no greater joy than to see his children walking in the truth. Would you lift your voice and say, help me, God. Help me make the right choices. Help me choose what to believe correctly. And, and let me walk in the truth not only in what I believe, but how I act and how I react to people around me. Amen. Somebody say amen to that. The second source of deception is sin. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13 says, Beware lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened, hardened, let me say it again, hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Why is sin deceitful? Because it's usually dressed up in an appearance that looks very alluring, very enticing, very seductive, very pleasurable, that will fulfill you, that will complete you, that will gratify you. But once it gets you in its clutches, it devours you, it destroys you, it deceived you into walking through that portal, and many of you barely made it out. Thank God for the grace of God that reached you in that low place of uncleanness. The first mention of sin in the Bible was when God warned Cain before he murdered his brother Abel. God said, if you do well, you will be accepted. But if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And the word that was used in that statement 
depicts an animal, a ferocious uh, and ravenous animal, crouched and ready to pounce on its prey. And that's the way sin is. But it's so deceptive. Take this pill and it will ease your mental pressure. Go ahead and drink that alcohol and it will relieve you of your pain. It's all a lie. I said it's all a lie. It's deception. It's the prince of darkness trying to weave a web and then catch you in it and destroy you. I choose to follow Jesus. I choose to follow Jesus. The third is the worst. What could be worse than the devil? What could be worse than sin? Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart, everybody say the heart, is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Without the reins of the truth, the human heart is capable of the most terrible evil. People that are basically good people can become wicked overnight by making the wrong choices. And, and of course, Jeremiah was not talking about those who have been born again, who have received a new spirit, who have had a heart washed in the blood of Jesus. That changes everything. Because see, when you get saved, there's two influences that come in your life. The Bible says you are begotten by the word of truth. That's James 1.18. You're begotten of the word of truth. So the word is like a seed planted in the womb of your spirit. And a conception takes place and a child of God is born. Well, that influence is called the word of truth. Everybody say the word of truth. But then he also said, except a man be born of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And that's when the Spirit of God comes into you when you receive Jesus as Lord of your life. But the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of truth. So you have this dual influence. The Word of truth comes into you. The Spirit of truth comes into you. And the God of truth bursts you into the family of God and you are changed forever. And you become a discerning person who can tell the difference between right and wrong with an activated conscience. Anybody feel like praising God that he included you in that number? Oh, come on, you can give him a better praise than that. What breaks my heart is that one of the greatest influences of deception in the world is religion. See, the devil is an extremist. And if the devil and his demons cannot get people all the way over on the, on the side of debauchery and uncleanness and filth and immorality, if that begins to grieve them and they feel gravitated toward religious values, moral values, getting their life together, then it, in the enemy's mind, I believe... The strategy is if I can't catch them in carnality, I'll get them over here in a false belief system. And I understand how that goes because I was in a false belief system for a, for a lengthy period of time. I, I was a rock musician as a teenager and suffered the consequences. I had a near-death experience at the age of 18 and that turned me on the pursuit of religion. 
And I, I would not turn back to Christianity because I'd been, through, uh, I'd been through a certain expression of Christianity. I was raised Roman Catholic, and I met many wonderful priests and nuns who were such self-sacrificing, humble, loving people who were doing the best they could to serve God and serve people. And they were wonderful role models for me. But I was never told, and probably because they never knew, that I could be born again, that I could be filled with the Holy Spirit, that I could have the same experience that happened in the upper room where the power of the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and the rest of the disciples and the apostles, and they spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We never heard about those things back then. Thank God one of the biggest charismatic Pentecostal moves in the world is within the ranks of Catholicism. Thank God over 20 million Catholics have been baptized with the Holy Spirit. Come on. I believe that deserves a shout of praise. But because I'd never heard of these things, I turned to Eastern religions. I turned to Hinduism. I turned to Buddhism, Sikhism, various oriental religions. I studied under an Indian guru. I taught yoga and meditation at four universities. And yoga is definitely a discipline that is supposed to take you to something they call God consciousness. And that's oneness with Brahman. Brahman is the ultimate reality in Hinduism, which is an impersonal life force. And when you come to this place of enlightenment called samadhi in Hinduism, you come to the awakened realization that you and Brahman are one and the same. You are God. That's why New Agers are often heard saying, I am God, you are God, we are all God, which is the absolute opposite of the truth. The enemy brought me out of one kind of darkness only to propel me into another kind of darkness. The horrid belief that I could ever claim to be God. No one can make that claim rightly. Come on, we are sons and daughters of God, but let God be God. Come on, give him a praise offering like he deserves. And I was caught in that for many years until Jesus came into my life. Thank God for someone who was a pillar of truth. Thank God for the man who picked me up hitchhiking, even though he had a cardinal rule that he never picked up hitchhikers, but God told him, pick that man up. He didn't know when I was standing on the side of the road hitchhiking, I was actually praying because I'd gotten a letter from an old friend of mine who told me he'd been born again, and I was saying, Jesus, if this is true, give me a supernatural sign today. And isn't God a genius at setting those things up? And when I opened the door and looked in, I saw a picture of Jesus on the ceiling of his van. I knew it was my son. Within a few minutes, I was on my knees. I was praying through. My life was changed. I shut down the yoga ashram. I canceled all the classes because I knew I could not be a Christian and teach yoga. There had to be a division between deception and truth. Amen. When asked what would be the sign of his coming, the disciples crowded around Jesus when he was foretelling some things that would come in the future. And they said, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And the first thing on his list 
of warnings. And I'm going to wait until it gets on the screen. Matthew 24, verses 3 and 4, because I want you to see it. The first thing that he said was, take heed that no one deceives you. I believe deception is intensifying and increasing in these last days. I need to say that again. Deception is intensifying and increasing in these last days because those that are on the side of darkness have a propaganda machine called the mass media where they can manipulate the, manipulate the mindset of the masses into believing things that are completely untrue. Or if they're not completely untrue, they're warped and distorted in order to fulfill an agenda. Many more people, many more people have died of the flu than the coronavirus. Many more. But nobody told you to be afraid of the flu. I think it's time for the church to shake off the bondage of fear and let's rise and shine for our light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon us. We should be the most fearless people in our society and people should recognize that we are willing to stand for the truth regardless of the response we get. See, I... I have to divulge something. I don't believe the statistics. I believe they're warped way out of proportion. I believe there's a globalist agenda behind it all that will eventually try and force vaccinations on you and God only knows what will be in those vaccinations to try and control the whole human race and bring all of them into a database. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I'm not walking that close to the mark of the beast. See, I have personal experience. I have a relative, a distant relative, two months before this thing blew up, out of proportion. He was in a car accident that sliced one of his aortas. I, I guess, jugular vein, I guess that's an aorta. I don't know the the makeup of the body like my wife does. She was studying to be a nurse. But anyway, he sliced that big artery in his neck and for two months had to be on a, a machine that would keep him breathing, just like the machines they're hooking people up to now. He died after two months and they labeled his death as a COVID-19 death. Come on now. Sure, the government pays the hospital $39,000 if such a thing happens. I don't know if that was deceitful on the part of the people that ran the hospital, but I know it was completely distorted, and I wonder if it happened in my family how many, how many thousands of times in other places with other people is it happening. I believe in the answer. My answer is the God who said, I am the Lord who heals you. Nothing's going to take us out of this world until the appointed time if we're children of the Most High God. Let's go to the next scripture. 1 Samuel 2.8. I love this passage. This came from Hannah. And if you don't know the story of Hannah, you should read the first part of 1 Samuel. She was barren. She was broken. She was pouring out her heart to God, pleading with God that she could have a child. Oh, by the way, God still does that. 
if you're a married couple and you can't have children, you come and let me pray for you in a little while because my wife and I were told we would absolutely never, totally impossible, we would never have children. We have two children because I, I serve a God who has the last word. And he told me when I was to marry Elizabeth that we would have offspring. And so God's word prevailed. But... What I want you to see is what Hannah said. This is like a spontaneous outburst of praise from her where she said he raises the poor from the dust and the beggar from the ash heap or the dung hill. And both ash heap and dung hill speak of a place of great de degradation. To set them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory. And then the verse it leads to is very important to bring this message to a conclusion. All right, he raises the poor. Is that talking about those that are challenged financially alone? No, I believe is talking about those who have a poor in spirit attitude. To be poor in spirit, as Jesus taught later on, is to have a mindset that I am bankrupt without God. I am bankrupt mentally, bankrupt emotionally, bankrupt spiritually, bankrupt morally. I cannot survive, neither can I save myself without divine intervention. How many are willing to admit that? You're willing to admit that? Then God said he'll do this. God said he'll do this. He said he'll raise the poor from the dust. What's the dust? Have you ever heard someone at a funeral say ashes to ashes, dust to dust? We're made out of it. We're going back to it. Mortality is what it represents. But if God can find a broken, humble-hearted person who is willing to bypass all the war of logic and unbelief and things fighting your mind to say, I believe you, Jesus. Then he raises the poor from the dust. And the beggar, well, we're not beggars. Well, we need to be willing. Maybe God doesn't want you to grovel in the dirt in front of him. But you and I have got to be willing like the one Jesus talked about, to beat our breast and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, because he said that man went home justified and not the self-righteous religious person. So I'm willing to plead for the mercy of God, and God will raise the beggar from the dunghill. What is the dunghill, the manure pile? It's the lower base side of our nature. God, and you could call that carnality. So God lifts you from the bonds of mortality and carnality to set you among princes. What does that mean? It means you've been brought into a royal family. Look around this room right now and you'll see hundreds of people who are sons and daughters of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. God has set you among princes. It's the royal family of God. Hallelujah. And to inherit the throne of glory, that means we have access into his presence. But then the next part, would you quote it out loud with me? For the pillars of the earth. Come on, let's say it together. For the pillars of the earth. Come on, let's say it one more time loud and passionately. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he has set the world upon them. Would you lift your hand and say, that's me? Because I've received deliverance from mortality and carnality.
I believed on the Lord Jesus and he changed my life. He pulled me out of the dunghill of the filth my past was and he pulled me out of the fear of death because now my body goes back to the dust. I'm not afraid because I have the gift of eternal life and I know the majority of you do as well. And, and I became something else in the process. I became, and you became, one of the pillars of the earth. People who stand out from the rest of humanity as bearers of the truth. Like fire altars, we shine the light of truth on our job, in our workplace, at our school, in our neighborhood. We're like pillars of the earth, and God has set the earth on us. He set the world on us, the system. I shudder to think how this world would be if the church was not here. It would sink into a cauldron of insanity as bad as it is with the church here. It would be far worse. And if I've ever given an exhortation, I'm going to give an exhortation at the end of this message that I believe needs to be heard. When the doors to faith assembly opened again after being closed for months, it should not have been one-fourth or one-fifth of the congregation you had before. It should have been double or triple the amount of people as soon as you can recoil from the attack with a counterattack of serving God, praising God, having a united witness. The one thing you did not say, Pastor Carl is that not only is it different when we gather together, individually, personally, but also when you gather together as a church, maybe you can't lounge in your living room with a cup of coffee, but you provide or help to provide a united witness to the community that we are people that love God and love each other, and we found the answer, hallelujah. And Orlando needs a witness that is a corporate witness of the truth. Let's bow our heads right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I know there's people in the sound of my voice who don't know you, who have not been saved, who have not surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus, who have never experienced the utter joy of their sins being forgiven and washed away. God, I thank you for coming to those that are in desperate need of you right now. And I'm asking you to raise them up out of the confusion of life and the pressures of life and the pain of life and bring them into a relationship with you today because truth is not a concept that we just believe in. Truth is a person that we encounter and his name is Jesus. Now while your heads are bowed, I'm asking you, pleading with you, if you have not surrendered your life to Jesus, but you desire to do so, would you raise one hand high so that God can see your attitude of heart, your inclination toward him, and so that I can see it. There's one, two. Anyone else? Anyone else up in the balcony? Come on. Don't let this moment pass you by. This is so important. There's a third hand. Is there someone else? Is there someone else? Praise God, praise God, praise God. I'm waiting just a moment. If you've not received Jesus into your heart and life, receive him today. 
Receive the truth. Quit walking in the deception the world throws at you. Walk in the truth that makes you free. You will know the truth and the truth will make you free, Jesus said. I want those that raised your hand, stand to your feet, please. Right where you're at, stand to your feet. I do appreciate you so much raising your hand. Anyone else? I think I saw three hands. Yes, one, two, three. Is there another? There's another here. Is there anyone else? All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray a prayer that I'm going to ask them to pray, but I want all of us to pray it where they don't feel conspicuous and we can all join together in seeking God together. Would that be all right? Let's say it with all of our hearts. Come on, let's close our eyes. And with all of our hearts, say this with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for the sins of humanity. I repent of my sins. Wash me clean in your precious blood. Holy Spirit, Spirit of truth, come to live inside of me. I surrender to your influence. Let me be born again. Let me have the gift of eternal life. By faith, I receive it today in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, can you give God a shout of praise right now? Come on, give him a shout of praise. Give him a shout of praise. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Whoa, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Now, if you prayed that prayer, be sure to text the word SAVED to the number on the screen because they desire to follow up with you and help you to understand, to work your way through the maze of different things that you need help to comprehend or to understand or to implement in your life. So please text the word SAVED to that number and someone will be in touch with you. I want to pray one last prayer before we close. We don't have time for me to minister to every single individual on an individual basis for healing. But I do believe in healing. God visited me about 30 years ago and gave me a vision of the power of healing for his love to be expressed in the lives of his people. He showed me an angel writing on a scroll the words healing is the expression of God's love. God doesn't heal you because you force his hand or coerce him by using the right formula in prayer. God heals you because he loves you and he wants to alleviate your suffering. And anyone that needs a healing right now, you can be healed just like the lady in last night's service that got a healing in her feet. Would you stand to your feet right now? Let me pray for you. Let's agree together in prayer. Let's agree together. In fact, would you lift one hand high toward heaven right now and say, Lord Jesus, I believe you were striped at a pillar in Pilate's Hall. You were whipped to purchase my healing. And by faith, I receive my miracle. I believe I'm being healed right now. I receive the promise of Psalm 103 where you said you would renew my youth like the eagles. I accept it right now 
and I praise you for it. Come on, lift your voice and thank God for a healing right now. Thank God for a healing. Thank God for your healing. I pronounce you healed. I rebuke sickness and disease from you. Be gone in the name of the Lord. By the power, by the power of the name of Jesus. I believe it, Lord. You're a miracle worker. I receive my miracle. Just go ahead and say that. Would you say, I receive my miracle? I'm being, being healed right now. I banish. Go ahead and, and be bold enough to say, I banish sickness from my body. Get out of my body, cancer. Get out of my body, arthritis. Get out of my body, back trouble. Get out of my body, degeneration of the bones. I claim the regenerative power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible said, if the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in me, it will quicken my mortal body. Somebody shout, I receive it right now. I receive my miracle in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now, I'd like you to remain standing, if you would, please. I need to dismiss, but before I dismiss, very quickly I want to run through a few announcements. And then I'm going to invite as many as will to come to the altar. Because in an altar, A-L-T-A-R, you're bound to be altered, A-L-T-E-R-E-D. God will change you. Altars are powerful places to encounter God. And if you want personal ministry for some particular need in your life, if you're an addict, Somebody came in the early service and said, I want to be delivered from addiction. We prayed over him. I believe he was set free. Praise God. If you have a particular need, if you want further prayer for healing or something else. But I do want to mention on the overhead, please look. I've got a number of books in the foyer. My beloved wife and daughter are out there. And uh, they'll help you access this. This is what I think is the most important book I've ever written put out by Charisma House, my friends at Charisma House. I love those guys. And uh, Who Am I contains 52 of the names that God has given you in his word. I preached on one today. There's 51 others in that book that you need to discover. And I would urge every one of you to get a copy. If we run out today, you can go on our website, shreveministries.org, and order it that way or order it on Amazon if you'd like. Uh, praise God. I also got some other books that I want to mention to you, uh, both of which were number one bestsellers on Amazon when they came out. Powerful Prayers for Supernatural Results. That's the 10 most powerful prayers in the Bible that brought the greatest supernatural manifestation from God. 25 Powerful Promises from God. Well, that sifts through 7,487 promises in God's Word and comes up with the 25 that are the most powerful. That is a transformational book, I guarantee you. Next, the next thing I want you to know about, how many of you are parents or your grandparents or your great-grandparents? Every single one of you should get that book, 65 Promises from God for Your Child. Because of all the promises, there's 65 that deal specifically with your children. Instead of telling God how bad off a child is, how wayward a child is, start reminding God, you said in your word, all my children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of my children. I claim that promise, Lord. Watch him fulfill it. Next. I also urge you to get the book In Search of the True Light. It's a comparison of over 20 religions. I go into the depth of explaining in 30 different areas of New Age belief why I believe a biblical stance now instead of New Age spirituality. And I do want to give a gift to you 
This, uh, unfortunately, I can't give away physical copies, but I have posted this book on my testimony. I'll go into much greater detail in uh, The Highest Adventure Encountering God. It's available in Spanish. It's available in Japanese. In fact, in the last two months, two Japanese yoga teachers have found the Lord through this little booklet. It's amazing how we can influence all around the globe. But this is a free download on both shreveministries.org, scroll down to the bottom of the homepage, or the truelight.net, which is my comparative religion website. Now, finally, I do want to mention that we have a publishing company called Deeper Revelation Books. We help Christian writers become published authors. And I'm so delighted to tell you five people from Faith Assembly of God have finished and published their books through us. And there's a picture of them right now. God in the 12 Steps is used in your addiction recovery services. Jerry Sharp, great man of God. I love Brother Jerry. Uh, Gracious Walk, written by Ray Peoples. He's become a dear friend to me. Dawn Brittlebank wrote Bloom Again, which is for domestic violence survivors. Tremendous book, tremendous book. Trials, Tribulations, and Triumphs by Josephine Chadwick. Many of you know Josephine, and she recounts her life, her memoirs. And then a book called New, New Thoughts, New Heart, New Life, written by Joanne Renucci, who has an amazing testimony. She was homeless for years, and now she's a part of your congregation and ministering to the homeless. Praise God. Now, many of these authors will be at the Faith Assembly bookstore at a table outside the bookstore. My tables are out this way. Their table is in front of the bookstore. And uh, please pick up. You, uh, you can be seated, folks. I'm sorry. I've kept you standing way too long. You've been very gracious. You can pick up this card if you're interested in becoming an author published with us, Deeper Revelation Books. Also, as you leave, your pastor already encouraged you to give. He encouraged you to uh, uh, sow into our ministry. And if you want to know more about what you're giving to, pick up this card called the True Light Project. It's an outreach to people of other faiths, Hindu, Buddhist, Muslim, etc. And it tells you about our podcast. We've got two podcasts on Charisma Podcast Network and uh, also our television documentary series that in the very near future, I'm flying out to, to uh, Hollywood, California to produce and it's very exciting. It's going to be the kind of films that unsaved people and saved people are benefited by. It's not just Christian media for Christians. It's media with the mindset of reaching those outside of Christianity with comparative religion subjects. Praise God. So this will explain it. And, and it's a huge endeavor, thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars, which is pennies in a bucket for God. Praise God. God is going to supply the needs. So anyway... I love you. I appreciate you.